Or when was the last time you went shopping for a new piece of fashion? Do you remember what you bought? How often have you worn it since then? Perhaps you have already forgotten that you bought it after wearing it once? How long did it take before you felt like you wanted to go shopping again to buy a new item? This is what fast fashion does to all of us. We are supposed to want more clothes and we're supposed to want them regularly. Because clothes are cheap and there's always a new collection that catches our eye. But even though we don't pay much for clothes, fashion comes with a very high price tag these days. So together, we're going to deep dive into the ugly side of clothes. How is the textile industry contributing to a more polluted and unequal world? Why producing and consuming less can address the climate crisis? Hi, my name is Sarah Tekart and this is Wellbeing Wardrobe. Undressing Fast Fashion, a podcast from the European Environmental Bureau. Our guests today are Delphine Williot and Emily McIntosh. Delphine is the Policy and Research Coordinator for Fashion Revolution and has a background in environmental policy. Her work includes the Fashion Transparency Index and she co-leads the Good Clothes Fair Pay campaign, which demands living wage legislation at EU level for garment workers worldwide. Emily McIntosh is a Policy Officer for Textiles at the European Environmental Bureau where she follows the latest developments in EU policymaking that impacts the local sector. Delphine, Emily, welcome. Hi, thanks for having us. Thank you so much. <laughs> Fashion, or at least clothes, are something that all of us deal with on a daily basis. We need to dress for different weather conditions. We gain weight, we lose weight, we need new items. Those of us who have kids very much know how fast they grow and how quickly they grow out of their clothes. Not to mention those who simply make clothing a way of expressing themselves or those who consume fashion through social media. And still, even if clothes are very present in our daily life, many of us do not think about it much, or at least not beyond fashion let alone the impact that our decisions around clothes and the way the textile industry works can have. So to make sure that we're all on the same page here, could you please explain briefly what is wrong with the clothing and the fashion industry these days? Emily, would you like to start, please? Yeah, so if we look at the textile industry and the clothing industry specifically, making clothes and wearing clothes and disposing of clothes has a huge impact. So at all stages of the life cycle of clothing, there's an environmental and climate impact and an impact on people. If we think about the production, making clothes uses up lots of natural resources, so water, land, fossil fuels, lots of energy. And at the same time, it pollutes the environment with pollutes the air, pollutes water, pollutes soil and creates lots of greenhouse gas emissions. The more we produce, the more we pollute, the more natural resources we, we use up and the greater the impact. And what's happened over the last two decades is that clothing production has essentially doubled and we're using clothes for a much shorter time. We can roughly summarize all of this as, as the phenomenon of fast fashion. And to understand fast fashion, we need to go back to the early 2000s. 
when uh, brands really started increasing the amount of product they put out onto the market at a very high pace. And it was powered by two things. So the access to cheap labor, which I'm looking forward to hearing from, from Delphine about, um, but also um, the reliance on the access to cheap polyester. I think you have already successfully covered the entire spectrum of, of what is wrong there. Delphine, would you like to add something to this? Yes, of course. I think, as Emily rightly mentioned, overproduction is a huge issue within the fashion industry. And from a fashion revolution perspective, I think the two key issues that we're seeing today are linked to the lack of accountability from the fashion industry and the power imbalance. As we can see, uh, the fashion industry today relies on colonial legacies. The way we are sourcing or the way we're producing clothes today means that you have a few very large brands, multi-billion brands are producing in specific countries countries that heavily rely on the garment industry in order to grow economically, which means that these companies can set their own terms and ultimately abuse their power when they're defining, when they're producing clothes from a purchasing practices perspective. That means that they produce clothes that are only worn a handful of times without paying garment workers appropriately while making huge profits off the back of people who will buy these clothes using very good marketing ploys. There is a huge power imbalance within the fashion industry that is not only churning so many clothes, but also relying on exploitation in their supply chain to be able to produce that many clothes as, at such a low cost, basically. You have both now given us a lot of information. Let's maybe focus on how this might have started. Can you talk a bit more about how the industry has changed, please? Just from my personal memories, when I think of my grandparents' generation, and especially my grandma, who was very fashionable, they were wearing clothes for years and years. These clothes were meant to last. How has this changed? We often blame Gen Z for, you know, focusing on buying new things and falling into these fast fashion trends. But I think it's important to remember that clothes are one of the only things where our purchasing power hasn't reduced in the last few decades. So that means that people who might not be able to get on the property ladder, for instance, who are no longer able to do certain things that previous generations did, will focus on buying things that are disposable, such as clothes. So that's one aspect. The second is obviously, we've completely changed the economic system within which we operate. So with industrialization, the fashion industry had started producing in other countries where they were able to set their own terms and churn as many clothes as they wanted. And then we also have the role of social media come into play where Uh, whether you're looking at platforms like TikTok and Instagram, we're pushing for the consumption of clothes on a daily basis. You can see more and more influencers doing hauls where they just showcase what they've purchased. On, and obviously, that means that they're also influencing their peers who will, who will want to be part of this conversation, who will want to be part of these trends. And I think fashion always had a role, um, a very important cultural role as well, where people wanted to feel seen. And by wearing specific clothes, you feel that you are seen. So again, it comes down to so many different aspects that play into this overconsumption, overproduction and pushing ultimately inequalities across the world. We have also previously briefly touched upon the topic of the environmental costs of the clothing and fashion industry. What exactly do we know about the level of pollution at this point? There's a really big problem of misinformation and a lack of data in fashion supply chains. 
And it is quite difficult to say with much certainty which what is the carbon footprint of the whole sector or what is the carbon footprint of a product. But the figures that we do have, some estimates say that it's up to 8% of greenhouse gas emissions in 2016. But what I think it's important to focus on is what the impacts are in supply chains in, well, in terms of the environmental impact and which parts of the, the production process, rather than just having the figures. The impact of producing fibres really comes down to the fact that you're extracting crude oil and turning it into chemicals to make synthetic fibres or that you're using lots of land and water, uh, pesticides um, when it comes to naturally derived fibres. So it's really about looking at and understanding why, how and where all these different impacts come and how all together that's what makes up a figure such as, you know, the industry is responsible for this amount of carbon emissions. We need much more oversight of supply chains, both from an environmental and a social perspective, to actually understand what is happening and to have much more scrutiny and transparency there. You're saying at this point there's a lack of specific data, but nonetheless, we know that pollution is an outcome of the industry. There's no arguing about that. But we also need to talk about all the resources that go into it water, electricity, just to, to mention a few. What about the use of resources? Are there any specific numbers available? Delphine, do you know anything about that? So through our research for the Fashion Transparency Index, which reviews and ranks 250 of the world's largest brands and retailers, what we look at is publicly disclosed information from these brands. And what we're seeing is that there is clear lack of transparency from these brands, which leads us to assume that if the information is not publicly available, it can't be addressed. Only 48% of the brands that we review disclose their tier one suppliers lists. When it comes down to stats around water, for instance, we know that only 15% of brands that we review are publishing their annual water footprint at manufacturing or processing level. That's why when we hear stats around the fashion industry's environmental impacts, it's very hard to assess because brands are not tracking this type of data across their supply chain. And then we do know that when they do try to track it, it's based on estimates that are sometimes unreliable. And just a last example of this lack of transparency is when we look at decarbonization and carbon footprint, we can see similar trends where the further you go down the supply chain, the less data is available. And we know that there are some industry tools available to estimate your carbon data. But again, this isn't truly reliable. And we're seeing this now when brands are communicating that their t-shirt consumes 20% less water than an average cotton t-shirt. This is based on industry estimates that are sometimes unreliable. And it's very hard to make sure that this data is actually reliable. And that this is why we really advocate for brands to um, track their supply instead of using secondary data yeah, and just to pick up on what Delphine's saying there about the reliance on secondary data, I think it's really interesting to highlight as well that over the last few months, there's been a lot of attention on this issue because the Norwegian Consumer Authority has ruled that many brands who are relying on secondary data, that this can be misleading in the way it's used in communicating to consumers. So it's really important when it comes to issues around setting rules on what kind of green claims and how we tackle greenwashing. If we set those rules based on dodgy data, essentially, then this has a, an impact right down to the people doing their shopping because they maybe believe they're buying a product that, as Delphine says, is sold to them as, oh, having 20% less of an impact. But actually, how is the consumer ever going Going to have the sort of tools to go behind that figure and unpack it and find out where that where that figure really comes from. We have already 
spoken about a couple of examples of negative impacts of fast fashion and the textile industry. But we also need to talk about social impacts, which means the people that are employed in the sector. And very often, this is the specific group of women. So it is very often justified as some sort of female empowerment as the workers are making their own income this way and have a chance to support their families. What's your stand on that? There's nothing empowering about making clothes available to more women if these clothes have been produced by oppressing women, whether they're based in the global south or global north. Yes, women make up most of the fashion industry's garment workers. However, this should not be a reason as to fight for poverty wages and defend them as something that is empowering in any way. Ultimately, what the industry is doing is fair enough relying on the labor of women who are using work in the fashion industry in a, in a way to provide for themselves, but keeping them living in conditions that are not empowering in any way because they cannot really provide for themselves and their families and trapping them in using poverty wages is absolutely not empowering. That's why um, at Fashion Revolution, we launched a campaign called the Good Close Fair Pay campaign, which demands legislation at EU level uh, for garment workers worldwide on living wages, just to ensure that any company who wants to sell their products in the EU market would have to conduct due diligence on living wages. Yeah, no, I completely agree. We can't have a situation where we, we claim to empower women through essentially a system of modern slavery. And also, I think it's important to add that often the people making clothes or people working in garment producing countries are and will continue to be on the very front line of the impacts of climate change. And if I can just add quickly to that as well, garment workers and people who work in fashion supply chains are the ultimate sort of losers in this situation because they are not only impacted by the existing impacts of the climate crisis. When you see what's happening in Pakistan, where I think in August there were some stats saying that over 45% of cotton crops had been destroyed, that's their entire livelihoods destroyed and brands are not held accountable for this so brands will then be able to produce using another cotton supplier but what are these farmers meant to do because they will not receive any help from these brands and we're seeing as well that a lot of factories do not have um, good um, ac systems and there with the increasing heat in government producing countries we're seeing that a lot of government workers are fainting and are on one hand push to produce more, push to work excessive overtime, but also work in conditions that are severely impacted by the climate and by this increasing heat in specific regions. Before going deeper into the interview and moving into the role the consumers can play, let's recall some key concepts on the problems behind the fast fashion industry. We have learned that the textile industry has a huge negative impact, both at an environmental and social level. This is mostly because of the so-called fast fashion. That is an industry that produces clothes that are not meant to last long, either because we are meant to fall out of love with our clothes quickly or just because of their bad quality. So we keep buying new clothes. But what's wrong with it? First, there's the environment. Making clothes uses up lots of natural resources, such as water, land, fossil fuels, and lots of energy. At the same time, it pollutes the environment, the air, water, and soil. And the larger the industry, the greater the impact. However, 
even though we know that the textile industry harms the environment, there is a lack of specific data. And secondly, we need to look at the people who work in the industry. While the fashion brands are in the global north, most clothes are produced in the global south. There, the garment workers are paid the bare minimum, often being exposed to a dangerous working environment. So when we go to a store these days, and it doesn't even have to be a specific brand because it could be any of them, actually, we can easily find an item, let's say a shirt for less than 10 euros. Is this in any way a fair price that reflects the production, material, transport and labor costs? Pricing is tricky because when we talk about fast fashion, there can be a tendency to think, okay, so it's just about paying more for a product. But I think it's important to flag that if a, if a product's really expensive, it prices no guarantee of um, social or environmental accountability from a brand. But that said, obviously, cheap products are a huge part of the problem. And there's no way that if, if a product is so cheap that it can actually uh, meaningfully reflect all the costs. So as a consumer, how do you judge whether a product is is uh, let's say in inverted commas good or bad is either you, you you make a judgment call on the price whether there's some kind of a certification um, on it or whether or you make a judgment on the marketing that goes around it and so that's why we need really I think much more stricter rules on what brands can say about the products. Delphine what do you think about that? It's very hard for consumers to know today what claims are actually accurate and what claims aren't. We've seen luxury brands claiming to be sustainable, claiming to be empowering and so on, having T-shirts with logos that claim to be feminist. And then we also see that these luxury brands and uh, I've spoken to, for instance, a collective of craftsmen uh, based in Uruguay, where they were telling me that they work with the largest luxury brands in the world. And when I asked them whether, you know, the garment workers were paid a living wage, they said no. Luxury is often seen as more sustainable obviously because of the quality of the products having but it doesn't always ensure that the people who made them have been paid fairly that's the first thing and today we're also seeing that the products themselves in terms of quality sometimes are not different to the to other products they rely on the same materials they've been made in the same factories the people who've made them have been paid the same the only difference is the price price point so from my side, one thing I really advocate is having this cost breakdown, really understanding whether the organization or the brand has mapped their supply chain, what, how closely do they work with their suppliers? And it's very hard to do. In one of my previous questions, I've given the example of one of these stores we, where we can get a shirt for around 10 euro. And these stores are very often also the ones that have like multiple collections per year or even per season, which results in a massive amount of items that are very unlikely to be completely sold. So what happens to all the, the products or the clothes? What happens to it afterwards? When we look at how much waste, on one hand, it comes from the pre-consumer stage and on one hand, it comes from the post-consumer stage. So the pre-consumer stage can be um, from the what's kind of described as the cutting room floor. So that's like scraps of fabric um, and offcuts that are produced as part of the clothing production process. Then also, as you highlight, the stock, which is products, which are final products, which are unsold. And then the other source of waste is post-consumer waste. So that's when clothes are discarded by the consumer after a long or short life. And I think another big issue is that we 
think that sometimes when we, as a consumer, when we donate clothes, we might think that's a, a good act to do, and it, and it is. But it's also important to, to see that a lot of the clothes which are donated globally actually end up um, in African countries. So these are exported, and that has an impact then on markets there, and also has an environmental impact when in terms of waste management. Do you maybe have some advice for our listeners who maybe now, after what they have heard from you, wish to make more sustainable choices in the future when it comes to clothes and fashion? I assume it's not very helpful if they now all decide to throw out the clothes that they already own. Definitely not. That would be the worst thing to do. The most sustainable thing you can do is to do nothing and to wear the clothes you already have. So wear your wardrobe Um Put your clothes away if you don't like them at the moment and bring them out six months later. The second piece of advice I would say would be to really informing yourself and going beyond green claims. So we've touched up, we've touched on greenwashing a little bit. We've not really talked so much about, about recycling. And I think that's important because one of the main ways as consumers we're being told that a product is um, more sustainable than another product is the presence of recycled content. Not everybody knows that often that is actually recycled fibers made from our pet, which is recycled PET, so recycled plastic bottles. And this is really a false sustainable solution because you should recycle a plastic bottle back into a plastic bottle, not into fibers to put into clothing that ultimately promotes more consumption. If you keep expanding and keep on the path of economic growth, those kind of efficiency gains, let's say, from using recycled content in a product are essentially cancelled out by the, the continued expansion of the industry. Also, De Castro said, loved clothes last. The most sustainable thing you can do is ultimately just keeping the clothes that are already in your wardrobe, understanding how you can mend them, how you can repair them, upcycle them, and how to wash them as well to look after your clothes, I think is the, the best advice I would give to anyone who's trying to be more sustainable and more mindful with their consumption. Well, the first step is not to consume with new products. I think the second for me is there are so many clothes that are already in the system. So again, I think looking at secondhand, I know there is a huge debate around, should I buy uh, brands that are really unethical if it's secondhand? Should I not? Ultimately, I think one thing I, I like to remind uh, myself and everyone is that these clothes are already there. So until we have a solution to recycle these clothes into something else, I think it's absolutely key that we consume them, look after them, even though they may not be as long lasting as other types of clothing. And then obviously the third step, if you A, do not have any more clothes, B, can't find anything in secondhand, because sometimes it's very difficult to find clothes that may, may fit you, that may suit you and so on. I would say the third step is really looking at what SMEs are doing as well. There are a lot of smaller organizations that will ultimately never have a huge the same environmental and social impact as those multi-billion large brands that are really trying their best to mitigate their human rights and environmental impact on have better traceability of their supply chain because they work directly with the farmers in their supply chain. It's really key to support them. And again, uh, I'd like to give a little shout out to our fashion open studio organizations and, and brands, as well as our small but perfect brands that are part of um program that we have at Fashion Revolution. One of Emily's advices to our listeners was inform yourself, which is perfectly in line with my last questions to both of you. If some of our listeners want to educate themselves even more on fast fashion and the textile industry, which sources can you personally recommend? There's really an abundance of material out there out there online and um 
Delphine recommended Ursula de Castro's book. There's loads of books on the topic. And then I think a really good way to get a feel for the for the topic is to watch documentaries. Um, and we have a documentary on the European Environmental Bureau YouTube channel, which was produced by one of our members, Irish Environmental Network, which is called Textile Mountain. And this really looks at the impact of increased imports of bales of used clothing to Kenya. And it's just a short film, but it really gives a good idea of the waste crisis. And yeah, from our perspective, we're really following what's happening in terms of EU legislation. And we encourage more people to get engaged in what's happening in terms of policy to possibly put more accountability onto brands. So if you're interested in that, we'd encourage you to read our position paper, which is called Wardrobe Change, which is on our website. And we'll share all these links, I imagine, in the show notes. From our side at Fashion Revolution, I think one of our main roles is to educate not just consumers, but citizens understand the role that they have within the fashion industry. So what we like to say is that you're not just a consumer, you're a citizen. You can ask for the legislation you want to see within the fashion industry. So, for instance, if you look at the policy dialogue toolkit on our website, it really gives you a breakdown of how you can engage with policymakers and bring together groups of NGOs, organizations, individuals uh, to really have that conversation with policy makers. If you also believe that living wages are a fundamental right for government workers, please go to our website, which is www.goodclosefairpay.eu and add your name if you have an EU passport or share it with all your friends. And yeah, I think as Emily say, we try to also engage into legislation because ultimately what we're seeing is that voluntary measures, whether it's on human rights issues, whether it's on environmental issues, are no longer enough to regulate the fashion industry. And we need to put an end to this over production. So that's why we're also um, part of different policy and advocacy uh, groups and coalitions. So I um, strongly recommend that you have a look at uh, the EU shadow textile strategy that we published as well. Dear listeners, this was a lot of information now. We will try to make sure to put all of this in the show notes. So if this has been a bit too fast for you, make sure to have a look there. You will find everything that you need. And for now, Delphine and Emily, this has been very insightful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. For those interested in learning more about fast fashion and climate change, I encourage you to follow Fashion Revolution on Instagram at fash underscore ref. That's F-A-S-H underscore R-E-B. Thank you so much for listening to Wellbeing Wardrobe, Undressing Fast Fashion, a podcast by the European Environmental Bureau. You can find us online on wardrobechange.eu. That's W-A-R-D-R-O-B-E-C-H-A-N-G-E dot E-U. And follow the European Environmental Bureau on Twitter at at green underscore Europe. That's G-R-E-E-N underscore E-U-R-O-P-E And this is it for today. The producer of Wellbeing Wardrobe is Sarah Abruschleich. Editorial background and script writing by Maria Dios from Bulle Media and myself. Sound design is by Thomas Kusberg. Editing and mixing is by Jeremy Bouquet and Thomas Kusberg. My name is Sarah Tekat. Until the next episode. Goodbye.